Eat shit and die, Ricky. Eat shit and live, Bill. People's eyes are gonna pop out of their damn skulls when they see this. Listen, you little bitch. You hang up on me again, I'll gut you like a fish. Finger licking good. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Horror Flicks and Guitar Picks podcast. I'm your host, Tim Trashmouth Mills, and today's guest is the one and only Lou Temple of the films The Devil's Rejects, 31, Trailer Park of Terror, the upcoming Black Mass, Pig Killer, and a bunch more. Now, before we dive into that, I just want to say a super big apology to Mike Rotella. He was originally going to be my guest this week, but unfortunately, I lost the episode, or I just didn't record it in general. Uh, it was a fuck up on my end either way, so I'm super sorry to him and just anybody that was in, uh, stoked for that episode. We definitely plan to record something after the holidays and hopefully get an episode up for you in January. Also, another announcement is we'll be back at Keegan's Irish Pub in Virginia Beach on January 24th for Horror Movie Trivia Night, hosted by me and Steven of Toxic Coffin. So make sure you come out for that if you're in the area. The best way to keep up with all the updates on that, as well as the podcast, is to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and X. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so the free way by just sharing it around or rating and subscribing wherever you're listening. Or you can join the Patreon. It's only $2 a month. The link for that is in the description. We get some stickers in the mail, a shout-out on a future episode, and a ton of other perks as well. So check that out if you're interested. Also, the link for Lou Temple's Patreon will be in the description as well. Thank you guys again so much for listening, and let's get into this week's episode. It's horse season all the time, I suppose. You know, uh, yeah. used, used to just be October, but it seems like it's... It's always happening, isn't it? Yeah. No, it's like uh, a lot of the bigger movies of the year have been coming out in like February and March, you know, the past few years. Like, uh, you know, this yeah. year you had Scream, Evil Dead. Last year you had like X and Pearl coming out in the middle of the year, stuff like that. So, Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so here we are, 2023. I'm trying to think of uh, what would the biggest horror movie be this year? For this year, uh, there's a couple that are up there. I know Talk To Me got a lot of buzz when that came out. Um, gotcha. I know Scream. Five Nights. Oh yeah, Five Nights at Freddy was big. Yeah. Uh, they, Evil Dead they Rise. Did, they did another Scream, right? Yeah. Which those are films that I think did big in numbers, but those aren't necessarily like the top of my list. Like my my favorite of the year was probably When Evil Lurks, which is a, a Shutter original. It's like an Argentinian horror film, but it's oh, very, very cool. Oh, yeah, very, great. Very bleak. And then uh, I really liked the new Godzilla movie, Godzilla minus one, the one that's like actually from Japan and stuff. That was excellent. So. I heard it was great and, and must see on the big screen. Yeah. Now I went and caught it about a week or so ago with another buddy that does a podcast and uh, the whole theater was loving it and stuff. It was pretty cool because usually I went and saw When Evil Lurks and it had subtitles. So it was like just me and my friend. So when I went and saw Godzilla, I was kind of expecting the same thing. I was like, oh, because I go up to Virginia and it's just like a little country theater in Virginia. So it's like, you know, there's not a ton of people that come out, but that theater was packed and everybody was having a blast. So I was like, hell yeah, this is awesome to see. Oh, that's great. And uh, there's a movie out with my friend Barbara Crampton called Suitable Flesh. Have you seen that? Yeah, I loved uh, that one as well. It was very uh, Stuart Gordon, you know, like her early work and stuff as well. So it was nice to see her return to that type of movie. That, that's very cool. Oh, good. I have not seen it, but I was talking to her the other day and, and she's very excited about it. And um, I think it's probably doing pretty well. Yeah, no, that one's excellent. It, I think it'll get a second win too, because I think it drops on Shutter in January or something. So as soon okay. as, yeah, once it hits that, you know, where all the horror fans have it readily available, it'll be blowing up even more for sure. So very cool. 
No, we can actually use that as a, that's a perfect segue. You know, some of the newer films that dropped, I, I'd like to start, you know, just shouting out some of your recent releases or just some stuff you got coming up. I know you have like uh, the film, The Black Mass is doing a festival circuit right now, if I'm not mistaken. Do you want to shout that out a little bit, of course, with anything else yeah. you want to talk about? Yeah, I think uh, um, Seven Cemeteries is is going to be a uh, a good time, a, a romp. Not quite as campy as Machete, but sort of uh, maybe not as comedic as Shaun of the Dead, but somewhere in between those two. Yeah, with Danny Danny Trejo. So I'm I'm uh, I'm kind of jazzed about that. Black Mass is uh, is good for a little movie. I was really impressed with what the filmmaker was able to do on such a small budget and, and time resource. We didn't have a lot of days to shoot and, and she was uh, very efficient and the edit was very voyeuristic, which I think gives a different take uh, interestingly on the slasher film. You know, yeah. you kind of see it from uh, an over the shoulder POV, which is, kind of like riding a bike off a cliff like oh shit do, am i gonna do this okay here's my first blow wow yeah. uh and it's um it's a little unsteady it's a it's unnerving that's the truth so i think it holds suspense and interest very sparse in dialogue which it doesn't need because you know in the middle of the night in a abduction you know mayhem scenario there's not a lot of talking yeah. And uh, so the, there's there's some positive things about the black mass that I think uh, Devony was able to pull off. And she she has a pedigree in the in the horror genre herself. So she kind of understands what's required, which I think is always underestimated in horror movies. I think it's one thing to sort of represent what you think um, jump scares are and and kind of implement them but i think it's it's a real delicate balance to have the tautness of tension that that vibes all the way through it uh and if you can't pull that off even more difficult is psychological tear you know what's really getting the best of you in this in this thought process and so um i'm always intrigued with who's who's doing that well and then uh, who's just throwing it out there and you'd be surprised our audiences are very sophisticated now so as you yourself know that uh, you can't just throw out some special effects score and blood and and land it anymore there's definitely an audience for that but yeah now even like the fun stuff you still want to have some kind of heart behind it or the humor's got to land and stuff like that it can't just be like uh, yeah, nonstop blood and guts for sure. Uh, and I mean, I, like you said, people enjoy that stuff, but it becomes forgettable as the years go on. Yeah, I mean, it's like a dog barking, you know, it's just, you know, wow, somebody <laughs> shut that dog up or, you know, can we just turn the blood off or that is stupid? What's the point? You know, I'm always looking for a little smarter presentations, I suppose. Yeah. And so but I'm seeing it a lot, too. I think filmmakers are being held to that you know bar and i think they're rising to it and, and even raising the bar there's some really good stuff as you well know and the full well, you know also tim what's interesting is um during the course of our different pauses starting with the pandemic following up with our recent screen actors guild strike yeah i think that has 
been a two-part process in distribution and digestion of products. So in other words, when we stayed at home, we started watching our streaming much more and it, it availed streaming to everybody who might not have otherwise had time because they were going to work, but now, you know, sitting at home binge watching. um, So they just devoured product. And then we pushed onto a strike where we weren't making as much product, which required the streamers to bring in catalogs from foreign options. And people became much more readily available to watch a Korean horror film, for instance, than they might have been otherwise and recognizing it's pretty good. Hey, they tell stories really well as well. And, you know, I don't mind reading it while I'm watching it. And someone like yourself, you just referenced, you you have no problem going to the theater and reading subtitles and being engaged in the story. I think there's a lot of people doing that. And that opens up opportunity for all filmmakers, storytellers, but it also raises the bar that you have to be good, right? World globally, you've got to be amongst. Yeah, no, definitely. I agree hundred percent. There's like uh, for instance, squid game came out during the pandemic towards the end. And that was one that, you know, everybody was at home. So they, you know, like just looking for new stuff. Cause it was at the back end of the pandemic. So all that stuff had already came out, you know, everybody was, nobody had been working. So there wasn't, it was the kind of same thing as a strike, you know, nothing was coming out cause nobody could talk about it and stuff. So when squid game came out, it wasn't in the midst of all the other stuff. So it was like the number one show on Netflix and it forced everybody to read, but it's just, I think that was one that really, like uh, you said, turned a lot of people's like uh, heads on the, Oh, like now I can go watch, you know, train to Busan or, you know, audition if I want to go back and watch a classic or Ringu because I've seen the ring and stuff like that. So. Right. Yeah. And so I, I, I recognize, I appreciate that. I think we should, it's like vehicles. Okay. You know, I mean, you know, when Toyota and, and Honda, um, Hyundai, you know, they're, they're going to raise the bar, which means that we do have to as well, Ford and Chevrolet and, 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 um, it just creates a healthy competition if that's reasonable, you know? Yeah. No, some people always complain that there's too much to absorb, but I'm with you. I think it, like you said, it just, uh, yeah, there's more to absorb, absorb these days, but it kind of creates just more competition that makes everybody strive to work even harder on what they're working on. You know, I think you have to, if you want to um, be in the game, I think you have to, you can't, you can't just throw something out there that has genre appeal and you've got to do it well. And so the movies that we're talking about that are of most recent interest uh, do it particularly well. You know, I'm always prone to psychological tear as it goes. And I think the one that lands for me in that realm is the Babadook, always. And, you know, what is the terror of just being a single mother, by the way, uh, let alone having a, you know, a monster. And I always felt like that monster metaphorically just represents everything. You know, what? how am I going to take care of this kid? And what are my bills? And what are my you know, my support system and all those things can manifest themselves into a big, dark, uh, scary monster in the basement. Yeah. 
No, I love that film for sure. And it's one of those things that it's like uh, a lot of the stuff's like hype, you know, like the kids like going crazy the whole time, which is a little bit hyper realistic. I mean, you got some kids that just deal, you know, he's dealing with grief, too. So you never know. But uh, yeah, it's one of those movies that you feel for the mother. And like when you dive really deep into it, you see so much like uh, like so many metaphors and stuff throughout that really just makes sense to the grief and stuff that she's going through, as well as like even the kid is himself, too. So. Yeah. And, and then I do think like uh, I did see um, Five Nights at Freddy's during the Halloween season. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was fun. I thought it was built uh, to enjoy and have fun. I thought it was fun for everyone. So it wasn't so scary for a 10 year old, for instance. It didn't yeah. feel like it. But I also felt like it was um, not as challenged or as challenging as it could have been. So I, I suppose based on its uh, inter intellectual property, its IP, that it has life, it has a built-in audience, and, and people probably loved it. I, I thought it was fine, just fine. Yeah. I didn't think it rose to the occasion, so to speak. No, I definitely understand what you mean. It's almost like uh, it had the same task. It's got like a tall task coming out of the gate because it's kind of like uh, adapting a short story of Stephen King's, you know, like say you adapt a, a 10 page short story. It's like, where do you come up with two hours when you only have 30 minutes of material? And I feel like that's the same thing with Five Nights at Freddy. Like watching the game, it's literally looking at screens and just shutting doors. So it's uh, it's crazy yeah. that they just took like a little bit of dialogue that gets, you know, sprinkled throughout and made a whole movie. So I'm with you. It's like kudos to them. It's like a complete film. It's great and everything, but it's just, uh, I don't think it'll be again. It'll just be like, Oh, that's that five nights at Friday movie in about 10 years. You know what I mean? It's. Yeah. I, and, and so I do think there's, there's when, when you make these adaptations, um, there's there's a lot that goes into them and they're they are challenging it, interestingly i was involved in a project short film called laura hasn't slept oh yeah and Smile. and it uh it was great it was a young filmmaker out of chapman university which by the way is a great film school for anybody that is looking to pursue filmmaking at the um institutional level you know collegiately going to school and learning that's a great place and parker finn the director uh took his movie out uh, and did well at, at a couple of the festivals i want to say south by southwest in toronto perhaps and then actually got a movie deal out of it and then went on to make smile which did incredibly well right yeah i think it was the number one movie uh horror movie of course of last year uh box office was yeah, and that was all predicated on the idea uh, that we built out of the short film. And um, so you can see the short. Um, this is a shameless plug, I think, on the Blu-ray extras attached to Smile. Uh, but but to, I guess I bring it up to the point is that a short film idea then gets expanded into a full-length feature that actually actually did do pretty well based you know, kind of on the the lore. And I think he'd always sort of had a sense of what that, where that lore carries forward. Yeah. Um, we didn't talk a lot about that making the short, but, uh, and there are a lot of jump scares in that particular, you know, storytelling. Yeah. No, that's uh that one. And then lights out or two that I really enjoy that like went from the shorts to, you know, uh, flowing features and uh, smiles. One of those that if I would have called it, I called it after, 
uh it like took me a minute to see it so it was after i made my top 10 of the year but it definitely would have been in like my top horror movies in general because i really enjoyed that one and it's one of those that it uses jump scares but it also uses tension building at certain times you know like we talked about earlier but uh no that's a uh, awesome and hey that's uh that's what you're here for is the plug stuff so it's not a shameless plug it's a just a regular plug <laughs> yeah well while i'm at it uh i might as well i've got a movie that is um coming out uh i don't know the date yet but it's really fun it's called seven cemeteries uh it's danny trejo and it centers around him being a lifetime criminal who's just getting out and um he runs into a uh debt bad debt owed after he's out of prison and they drag him out to the desert and, and leave him for dead after you know beating him to a pulp and and shooting him and and he's found in the middle of the desert by a bruja which is a, a mexican witch and she resurrects him or she actually heals him and gives him uh, the capability to resurrect his old gang who are all dead and buried from their graves and that hence the seven cemeteries there's seven of us and then we have we're kind of the undead uh and have to um defend a a small farm that's being victimized by a drug cartel down on the border and it's really fun it's got a lot of uh comedic uh tones there's some good humor uh, Danny's great. There's some great special effects involved. We're all dead. Um, recognizing that we we can't actually die again yeah. and how fun that is and disarming it is to engage in a in a battle. And uh, Danny's great in it. Uh, Efren Ramirez is in it. Uh, Vote for Pedro from Napoleon Dynamite and uh, Vincent Ward, my buddy from Walking Dead. So Okay. It's got a nice cast. There's a good group, and uh, I think it's done well. Uh, John uh, Gallagher directed it, Clue Gallagher's son, and so yeah. uh, it was. Uh, it was done well. So that that that's coming, uh, heading out, coming coming towards you. You know, I've got one out there called The Pig Killer with uh, Jake Busey. It's oh, yeah. uh, it's based on the uh, Willie Picton story, which is a true story, sadly, out of uh, Canada, Western Canada, Vancouver, yeah. about a kind of a psycho pig farmer who just wanted to be loved. But uh, he ended up uh, mutilating 49 women and feeding them to his pigs. Yeah. And they, you know, they finally figured that out. So Jake does a good job in that. Um that is full of mayhem, gore, and and um, senseless sl slaughtering of humans. So uh, um, that's not for the faint of heart. I've seen that a couple of times, and it's it's difficult. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely have to check that one out because I've listened to a few podcasts. You know, tell a story like last podcast on the left, and uh, a guy watching YouTube that chapter talked about Robert. Right. Clinton, so no, it's yeah it's wild so i didn't know that, that that's what the movie was about i saw the you know the name of course you know looking through the credit you know your imdb and you know just other credits yeah and stuff, but. i play his brother it's interesting because these guys uh, the real story is that they had land through their heritage their family grandfather and father and um they were just pig farmers literally uh but 
made a lot of money. I mean, Willie, Willie goes to prison, but, and, and the rest of the family sort of denies knowing anything about it. Yeah. But they end up selling a lot of land that become, became development in Vancouver, which is really high end Vancouver now. Yeah. And so they, uh, you know, Willie's, they're kind of rich and, and Willie got, of course, Willie did all the, the butchering, but, um, yeah, it's it's just definitely a story out there to be told. Uh, we talked a little bit about the Black Mass, which is a um, voyeuristic point of view of a, a serial killer, uh, one that we all know who is quite charming. And um, you don't really understand who it is until it's uttered in the last frame of the movie. You know, yeah. we're looking for Theodore Robert Bundy, um, the police detective says, and you see that this is Bundy's unraveling in his last, uh, where he ends up getting caught in Florida, up at Florida state at the sorority yeah. house. And, um, uh, it's done really well, uh, really sleight of hand, interesting edit and really sparse dialogue, but a lot in the picture visually. So, um, it kind of, doesn't show him as a charming it shows him as kind of a, at a stage in his life where he's he's not in so much control and uh also the filmmaker who's uh Devony Penn who's a, a got a pedigree in the horror industry herself she she was really trying to honor the victims yeah uh, of of the story so seven cemeteries which i actually think out of the three will be the best of the bunch yeah. Just because it's it's kind of different. We never really see um, anything comedic in the horror genre. I've always felt Shaun of the Dead would set that bar, and we 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 just don't seem to follow up with that very often. Yeah. No, one of my favorite films this year uh, is the one that's kind of going under the radar just because it's only on Screenbox and it's still doing the festival circuit and stuff. But uh, Onyx the Fortuitous in The Talisman of Souls. Uh, Barbara is also in that. She plays his mom. Uh, wow. But it's a character that's very cringy and he's very Pee Wee Hermanist, uh, even Ernest, you know, Pee Whirl-ish at times. And uh, so it's uh-huh. just kind of it's kind of like one of those for like horror fans. You know, it feels very gateway horror, kind of how we talked about, you know, Five Nights. But uh, of course, yeah. he says he drops the F-bomb quite a bit and stuff. But uh, I definitely recommend that one. But uh, when you were talking about your films, uh, Seven Cemeteries definitely sounds right up my alley. It sounds super fun. It's like uh, Dead Heat meets a Western. I don't know if you've seen the Joe Piscopo movie, uh, Dead Heat, but. No, I haven't seen that. That sounds fun. And um, it's funny that his Joe would be in it. Yeah, it's uh, pretty much about cops that uh, the cop dies and comes back as a zombie, but still goes out to be a cop because he knows that like he can't die and stuff like that stuff. It's uh, that's hilarious. That's a great premise. Yeah. But Um, I'm uh, I'm attached to a movie that I I don't know if we're ever going to go get this done, but it's called. uh, it's a great premise, very similarly called Father Reaper. Oh yeah. And he, this guy is um is a priest by day, Catholic priest by day, but somehow his he's the grim reaper at night. So he's saving souls at day and taking them at night. And it's uh it's really interesting. So I'm hoping that uh we can get that. And it's got a little you know, comedic tone, little frighteners to it, essentially. Yeah. Oh, yeah. As it as it goes. So 
No, definitely look forward to that as well. And of course, uh, you mentioned Danny Trejo being in Seven Cemeteries. Did you guys ever, was there ever a moment where you guys were on set together at Devil's Rejects or was this your first time actually getting to work together? No, no, we've worked together on several occasions. And so interesting, uh, we have the same agent. So oftentimes she's okay. um, trying to pair us as best she can. But uh, we were on set together at Devil's Rejects when um, uh, he was there with... Uh, Diamond Dallas Page, yeah. uh, and 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 the they were the unholy twosome, I think. Um, so we didn't actually work in any scenes together, but I got to hang with Danny a little bit on set because you know half the day would be our stuff, and then the other half would be their stuff, and so we'd cross paths for sure. And then we totally worked together on Halloween. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. We were the tandem together in Halloween, which was great because at that point, Rob had decided that he wanted um, me to be the real asshole and for Danny to be the sweetheart, uh, which Rob said seems more natural. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, then we also did a movie together uh, called The Killing Jar uh, with Michael Madsen and uh, Harold Perrineau and, and Jake was in that and um, uh, Danny was in that. So, and it was, it all took place in a diner. And so we did that together and then uh, seven cemeteries, but there's, there's one, there's another one that I'm uh, forgetting and um, it'll come to me, but we've done like four, together and and so this was it's and it's always great with danny because he's um so good natured and so he he's so full of gratitude and joy and i actually found him to be really good on his feet like he's great at improvisation he's great at comedy he's great at dropping in and then he can he can just be give you that trejo hard in a moment's notice, you know, and I think that's, um, that's impressive. So, and he's, he's still going strong and, and really still doing good work. I think I'm always impressed with the stuff that he gets to do. Like, I think he's crossed over into the star Wars, star Wars universe somehow or another in, (laughs) in a role. Yeah. I think he was on one of the shows if I'm not mistaken, the, uh, one of the many ones on our Disney plus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So have got to work with him and I do always appreciate it. And I always find it uh, joyful. I entirely do. Oh, yeah. I guess even uh, space has gangsters, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but no, got to a... be a baller in space, man, or it's not it's not real. Right. Uh, yeah, he's he's fun. And I think, he, you know, he's so distinctive in his persona and his aesthetic, his look, but also his voice that you know there's not a lot of duplication like you get to you know you want a danny trejo character you kind of have to go get danny trejo yeah no i definitely agree there for sure it's one of those that like you could tell it's almost like uh uh i don't know if you ever watched freddy versus jason just because it's a random uh horror movie but there's a character in that that's obvious obviously trying to be jay from jay and silent bob and it's one of those things that it's like you see the same thing when you see like somebody trying to be danny trejo you're like yeah, they just didn't want to spend that money, but it would have definitely made the yeah. character 10 times better just to get him. But they missed. Right. For sure. No, hell yeah. But uh, and then, of course, you know, just to uh, continue on with the Devil's Rejects, I heard on another uh, 
interview that you did that uh, you and you kind of got the role by, you know, you and Rob having a lot of similar, uh, you know, just interests and stuff growing up. What, would you say music is one of those? Because I know that if I'm not mistaken, you helped with some of the banjo and Sullivan music. Yeah, for sure. I think that being products, kids of the 70s, we sort of have the same taste. You know, Rob is a tastemaker and he has been able to carry over the stylization of of his childhood into his work his movies his music and and I sort of land in that realm too so I think I'm the I'm the country to his his east coast as it goes and so when we did devil's rejects he did he knew a me and music a little bit and asked if if it was good would it be possible if we could build an album for banjo and sullivan these characters yeah and i i'm like yeah so i got my buddy jesse dayton who's an americana guitar picker out of austin texas and we wrote uh eight songs for this album and rob had a radio show at the time here in los angeles and he he played the album we went and produced it and Rob was involved in as a producer and we made a decent little bluegrass album built on these uh, these characters that were uh, musicians that got, you know, victimized in the Devil's Rejects. And Rob played it and people assumed that we were real and that that happened and oh yeah we saw banjo and sullivan open up for the allman brothers in, mm -hmm. in 72 and, and it was just it was great when the movie came out and like wah, wah, wah. but uh but the album lives on and we did some really fun music great music and i tried to engage in writing the album sort of randy newman double entendre style like it says this but it could also mean this like dick soup or she doesn't like me but she loves my money or um i'm at home getting hammered while she's out getting nailed Some, you know great titles and inferences that actually got us a parental guidance parental uh yeah <laughs> uh, guidance sticker uh, on our album, though we don't use any curse words, uh, but the innuendo is is all there. Uh, so that was fun, so much fun, and, and um, we I think it helped solidify the character for me. You know, being a country singer of this band that you know Rob has always had a fascination with the country vibe and the you know the small the small band vibe, which feel like he always thought that white zombie was and i'm sure at some point they were but they yeah. got pretty big pretty fast you know and uh and certainly he's a big rock star in today's world you know he's still out touring and you know playing stadium venues yeah no i agree 100 he's uh you can even hear it in like a newer track well not new now i guess it's a couple years old but that song everybody's fucking in a ufo is very like you know country yeah. based and then even yeah. his old stuff with uh he did that one album i I want to say it's called like Dirty Horses or I can't remember what it's called, but it was a very like you could tell he was trying to go very southern with it. You know, it's still it was after like White Zombie when he's Rob Zombie, but uh, yeah, place. yeah, he likes that chick, you know, that chicken fingers, that chicken picking uh, sound, and he he likes uh, he, he likes that 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 vibe. And it's great with Rob because when you go to work or or when I do with him. Um, we sort of build the character on a song often. Oh. And who is, what is this character? What does Adam Banjo listen to on his day? 
you know, and so uh, in in that instance, it was it, it was a lot of like Allman Brothers or Credence. It was I remember Credence. Credence Clearwater influences me a lot in my builds of characters. But for instance, on the movie Thirty One, when I referenced that, I was like, "Where do you think this guy?" Because for some reason, I was like, "Is this guy, you know, Elton John?" And he's like, "Hell no!" <laughs> he's like. It's totally the Ram Jam uh, Black Betty, you know, and so that's a good reference. And he and I have that shorthand that we're, we're able to find that immediately in that in that vibe. You know, Rob's a he likes pop music, you know, I mean, Abba's his favorite band. So it's oh, yeah. uh, it's 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 easy then to, you know, go, oh, that's the tone of where we're going. And uh, and so that that helps a lot, I think. Or, or, you know, for me with with him, he and Mosley might do something different or, you know, uh, I'm sure he and, you know, Sid did something different or Jeff Phillips have a different vibe. But yeah. what's good about Rob is he can connect all around with everybody. And I think he just saw in me when the audition process with Devil's Rejects was happening, kind of this bravado guy loud mouth swaggy dude that was gonna have to put up or shut up at some point you know was that i i'm gonna have to walk the walk and not just talk and talk yeah and um in dealing with otis so i think i think that had a lot i i didn't know rob zombie i mean i knew who he was but i didn't really i wouldn't say i was a rob zombie listener per se or yeah. a white zombie guy, but uh, I certainly knew who he was, and and you know it uh, it made me nervous to uh, not really know who he was and go to work yeah. with him. Be, but my and I've told this story so many times, but uh, I I talked to a friend, Walton Goggins, uh, who had done House of a Thousand Corpses, and of course Walton had done so much good work. And he just said, "Dude, you got to go work with Rob. He's a good. He'll be a great friend and a great filmmaker in your in your career." So, and yeah. and he was right. Yeah, he was entirely right. Oh yeah, no. Uh, Walton Goggins is one of my favorites. I always say that he should be the new Freddy if they reboot Freddy Krueger, just because I feel like he could pull it off. But no, that's uh that's awesome. And that kind of leads into my next question. You know, like you were uh, saying, you know, like going toe to toe with Otis. Uh, you guys had to film that. You know, probably one of the best fight scenes in horror. You know, because there's not many fight scenes in horror. It's a lot of times chasing and yeah. murdering. So, uh, what was it like? You know, just shooting that. You know, out in the dust and sun. And you know, uh, do you have any memories from you know learning that alongside Kane and Bill and all them or? Yeah, so many memories. I mean, that was definitely the difficulty. I mean, actually, you know, we were so excited for the movie that I think we forgot how much, you know, Rob didn't forget. Yeah. But we didn't realize the effort that was being put forth. But at that point, out in the desert, I started to wreck shit. This is this is starting to be difficult. It's hot as hell. We're in Palmdale. And it's just, we're on that chicken ranch. It smelled terribly and it, it just was awful. And so we had been in the uh, hotel room, which was really intense. As you know, those scenes are really tense. So we get outside and, and uh, there's a little freedom, but we've been choreographed. This Kane, who was the stunt uh, coordinator, had choreographed this fight scene. And we'd been actually working on it, like during our lunch breaks, rehearsing this thing 
for a couple weeks. And so yeah. it was really, it was really dialed in and we really built it so that there were uh, many parts to it. And, it, and it, it was very physical and very Rob likes mono y mono as opposed to gunplay. And so it was, it was going to, it was going to get really deep, deep into that. And we were good at it. You know, uh, Bill and I had, had worked enough where physically we could, we could pull it off. We didn't need our stunt doubles uh, too much. They did, they did work. But in this one instance, this is when Rob was trying to get a, a specific special uh, feature on the knife being pulled out of Otis's boot yeah. where he stabs me in the groin. And he just wanted uh, the prop blade didn't have the same gleam or shine when it was, and he wanted a special light blade as it was pulled out. And so we go through the fight and it, at, when he pulls the blade, it was supposed to be a cut right there. This is the real knife, by the way. So we're going through it. It's going out really well. And the fight, and everybody's kind of engaged. And Bill pulls the knife, mostly, you know, and I've got him with the two by four around the neck. And I'm going, and Bill pulls the knife, and all of a sudden, King comes out of nowhere and just grabs Bill's arm, tackles Bill. Because it was going to play through. It was going to be the real knife, and I was going to get stabbed and hurt. <laughs> and Rob just sort of, I think, got engaged in the scene, and it was – and so I always hand it to Kane that he um, maybe saved my life, but definitely saved my um, childbearing um, yeah. opportunities for having that. Uh, then when we uh, Otis is on top of me and he's he's giving his soliloquy, uh, fuck you, that's what they all say, you know. I mean, and I'm bleeding out. It was they couldn't have put more blood. I mean, they just, Wayne Toth, the special effects makeup artist, he's just pumping blood through this wound on my neck. And there's, it's just going everywhere. And it was hot and flies and smelled terrible. And so I kept, you know, into Otis's face, but particularly that long hair that he had. And it was pissing Bill mostly off. God damn it, Lou, you know, because every take then, his hair yours would have to get cleaned off you know yeah. they'd have to you know get all the blood out of it and do it and i'm like well bill if you're sitting here on top of me you know just chattering away where the sticky shit's all you're gonna get some of it so the tension was pretty tight about that time about you know tenth time that we had done that where there you know and it was all about the blood and rob was just happy that and and so but for all of the difficulty of it it just paid off i mean i think that scene lives great jeffrey lewis god rest his soul in that scene praying to you know for the bunnies and the squirrels and it's just <laughs> genius and the harrowing point of me you know yelling for my friend roy roy are you okay i think that earned it and the fact that the two of us kind of went down the blaze of glory, went down fighting, you know, Butch Cassidy Sundance. I mean, he, we, how we couldn't take Otis out, I'll never know. I mean, we had it. Yeah. Shit. We should have, we should have won, but uh, we blew it. Uh, it's like going to the Super Bowl and missing the field goal. Yeah. And uh, 
And so it was great. So I'm really proud of that, actually. Oh, yeah. I always look at it as the reason he beat you guys is because he always had the willingness to kill. He does it for fun where you guys, it's like you're doing it because you have to. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we were totally in survival mode and we've just been through something very cringy and the you know that's with our it, wives yeah. and and i think emotionally we were a little uncertain you know digging up some guns yeah uh but uh yeah that that was really fantastic work and scene and you know to us that seemed like the whole movie and then when i saw the movie i'm like oh yeah there's there's way more mayhem going on in this yeah. than, than just us. I was like, it, it, this movie's all about us. Yeah. Uh, but, it, and, and that there, that's what I think was so great about that movie. I always say that I think Rob caught lightning in a bottle because every character had this great arc, you know, no matter how small their time on screen might've been, you kind of get who they were and, the life they had lived very, very quickly right in front of you, which I so enjoyed, whether it's the guy selling Rhode Island reds, the, or, or PJ souls and her kid, yeah. you know, very important clown business or, uh, you know, wh whomever it was that was in the movie had a place and a, and a life. And we rooted for all of them in yeah. one way and then in the end, we're rooting for the, the villains, right? <laughs> it's kind of a perfect movie. And and the other thing for that, Tim, I, I wanted to say is that, and uh, I, I often say this, is that there was something special between the genre prose in Sid Haig, God rest his soul, Bill Mosley, Ken Foray, and Forsyth. And that there was something that they were, bringing that i think as a group and not just them but it, it brought it brought all of us into it that you hadn't had that much experience in the genre but just this impending invasion of personal space they just kind of lean into the camera yeah. they lean into your personal space and you'd feel a little unnerved by it it was just something that i watched ever so i could see sid going from his heels to his toes you know he, like this lilt and it was really creepy and he was so good at it and bill mosley was really good at it. still is obviously and, yeah. and foray and i just think those are the kind of things that get taken for granted when you go throw something up in the horror genre you kind of need a sort of Boris Karloff, Lon Chaney experience yeah. that, that's in there, that those actors, those four that I referenced in particular, brought oh. that was a magic that we couldn't have foreseen, I don't think. Yeah. No, he does nothing but pump those movies full of, you know, just legends of horror, like Mary Warnoff, even in the just the very beginning. Uh, yeah. Another favorite point. of mine. So, yeah, she was great. Getting stabbed in the back. Yeah, it's crazy. No, hell yeah. No, and I only have like about three questions left for you. One of them about your work and then just two kind of fun ones to end the show. But sure. Um, but no, and hell yeah, that's one thing is like you said, it, it feels like uh, like, for instance, when you hear Rick Baker talk about doing the 
transition scene in America Werewolf in London, you know, like all these shots took so long to get, but then you watch them on screen and they're 10 seconds. So I definitely feel you, especially something like that. That's why I like the, the fight so much is that uh, same thing that the Northman did last year. I feel like, I don't know if you saw that, the Robert Eggers yeah. film, but all the fights were slow and brutal, but that what's, that's what made them feel real. They weren't John Wick. They weren't, you know, not, yeah. every, not everybody can swing so fast, you know, especially after watching their wives get tortured and their friend get shot in the head and all this stuff. So no, I, uh, yeah, I, that fight definitely will hold up uh, the test of time in cinema for sure. But uh, my uh, last question about your work is, you know, within the Rob Zombie's work alone, you've played, you know, victims and villains, but also a film that I like to shout out just because I feel like it's super underrated is Trailer Park of Terror. You got to do uh, get made up for that as well and play a villain. Do you find it a little bit, you know, like in 31, you had to make up on, but now you had more latex and stuff. Do you find it a little easier to, you know, channel the psychopath and, uh, you know, be the killer when you are under all that makeup and uh, disguise? Yeah, good point, Tim. Uh, one of the things that was interesting, um, I had done Trailer Park of Terror prior to uh, 31, and that was heavy prosthetics. That was that was a full, uh, you know, bodysuit that they had built that you, you put on, and, and it took a long time. And the prosthetics uh, do something to you where you are not yourself. And, and so you are uninhibited about being this terrible person that you're about to be and rob would always tell me that because when i did 31 he would say hey we're gonna put this mask and makeup on you and you're gonna find this freedom in you that allows you to do things that you might not he says yeah. this is how i feel on stage because i'm typically in makeup on stage doing stuff and i i recognize how i just be something that i might not I'm, I might be inhibited to be otherwise. And so I find that to be true. And yeah. um, you push as far as the makeup goes. So, you know, as uh, you, you know, I look awful, so I'm going to be awful or I look menacing. I'm going to even push that card farther. I remember in 31 that uh, I always was, you know, thinking that, Man, someone walking around the neighborhood or a, a dude without a shirt, that's trouble. It didn't used to be necessarily in the 70s, but today, if some guy's walking around shirtless, he's going to be a problem in your hood. Yeah. You know, like, and no shirt and jeans. I'm not talking about a jogger. I just mean, you know, and uh, Rob's like, okay, no shirt. And why not at this point? Um, let's have very little pants, like short shorts, <laughs> Daisy Dukes as well. And I was like, oh, no. And then, you know, we start doing the paint and then, he, you know, he sprays on me. I love cock on there. And then 100% motherfucker on the back. And, you know, he just went nuts with it. And then I realized this is the ugliness of who this guy is. And, and so let's go with it. He said, you can't be bothersome enough in this realm. And um, that's that's where we started and then black betty comes in you get revved up the, the engine a little bit and then and then it's just mayhem and then particularly for me with with psycho head for 31 there were so many options but i felt like a lot of the choice was we don't you know please at the end most of them begged for their lives and i was not going to do that i decided i was just going to rip rob off from dragula and i will never die who has the chainsaws cutting me in half. Um, 
And so uh, I do think the makeup lends itself to a lot of freedom, oddly, you know, and so it's it's worth it. But but you're paying a price in the makeup chair, you know, every morning, a uh, couple hours or, you know, in the chair, getting that build, getting it right and then trying to maintain it over the course of the day. Uh, so by the time I'd done The Walking Dead, I had recognized um, when they asked me if I wanted to come back as a as a walker, I was like, no, I'm fine going out one one shot. Let's do this. I don't, I don't really want to be made up in the makeup yeah. chair. Uh, but I think you you should experience that. Or I recognized that I needed to um, about going into makeup. I had spoke with Ron Perlman. I bounced. Uh, I ran into him one day at, at the grocery market, and it was right before Trailer Park Terror. And uh, I had asked him about it, and, and he he said, "It's awful. You know, that's you know, there's no reason to do that if you don't have to." And I was like, "That's exactly why I'm going. I'm going to do it." Yeah. And I love Trailer Park of Terror again. My favorite part of that movie is kind of the DVD extras when we're all sitting around bemoaning. Uh, day-to-day life the ups guys dropping stuff off at the wrong trailer so we mm-hmm. ate him you know and you know the, the those kind of it, it was a lot of fun that movie hell yeah no i enjoyed it a lot myself i just did a recent watch along for uh patreon with one of my buddies of what trailer park of terror so that's what no way that's yeah. fantastic no hell yeah but uh no in trailer park of terror that's uh i'm with you though it's like when you get like it's one of those experiences that when you have it done, uh, you know, the makeup and stuff, I feel like, you know, obviously like I'm speaking, you know, as a third party, you know, looking in, but I feel like it shows, you know, gets more respect towards like a Doug Bradley and stuff like that. Cause now you can understand, you know, Oh, that guy's just been behind makeup most of his career, but then you're like, Oh fuck, he's been behind makeup his whole career. So it's like uh, a little bit yeah. for sure. Yeah. And you, you appreciate. And, and so it's, um, it's it's also making the makeup come to life, you know, because sometimes the makeup is so extreme that it's hard to imagine it having a life, you know, yeah. but you still have to infuse um, some sort of grounding into it and give it um, some sort of realism that it, it's, you know, not just mayhem you know frankenstein still needs to be an embodied living you know element and yeah. uh so i do i do respect uh you know doug jones for instance uh the work he does in 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 makeup in pan's labyrinth or the you know um the the water um shape of water yeah thank you shape of water and just all of his work has just been fantastic that way he's you know quite good uh, along with so many of those guys, you know, yeah, I do think it's different. I do think you have to, uh, you have to work at it, but then you also can dial it back. Yeah. You know, you don't have to worry about facial gestures as much because they're being masked. Yeah. But the I mean, perfect uh, way to like uh, explain that to people is literally that's why people have a favorite Jason and Michael Myers. Like it's all the same character, but like people have favorites that portray him and it's, it just shows that it's more than a costume. At times, you know what I mean? So, you know, what's an interesting point is we go around to do these conventions lately, uh, recently. And I say recently, this is probably the last seven years, eight years. They started noticing cosplayers really showing up. Yeah. And some of these cosplayers are are um 
day-to-day neighbors of yours, but you put them in one of these cosplay costumes and they start embodying this character and doing things, these, you know, you're all of a sudden seeing these soccer moms that are like crazy ladies, you know, all of a sudden in their uh, scantily clad cosplay outfit. So you do recognize that it changes your personality a little bit. Yeah, no, I 100% know what you mean. It's like the, all of a sudden the door greeter from Best Buy is holding a knife to somebody's throat because he's dressed like Art the Clown, you know, like shit like that stuff. Yeah, so. exactly. Or even just, I suppose it goes all the way back to like Halloween costumes, you know, and yeah. you put that costume on and you, you trundle out to school and all of a sudden you are that guy. And this is, you know, all the way into the, by the time you take it off with your bag full of candy, um, you've, you really built a character. Okay. <laughs> you know, no, that's kind of that's exactly what made me kind of ask that question, you know, and like be interested in that, you know, knowing, you know, how actors felt about it, because uh, I dressed like Beetlejuice a few years ago, probably the year before the pandemic. And, you know, just being all made up like Beetlejuice, I didn't feel as weird making the Beetlejuice voice and being, you know, like goofy and like saying, you know, just like random goofy stuff to strangers, you know, that I probably would have never even been like, hey, how you doing? If it was, you know, yeah. my normal clothes. So it was a hundred percent. Yeah, there you get this weird free pass for some reason. And yeah. uh, and it's it's the makeup that gives you that permission, I suppose. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. And of course, it's awesome that Rob gives you guys, you know, opportunities to be the victims and killers, because, you know, it seems like he does that with a lot of people. You know, Poncho Moeller got to be, you know, he was a killer along with you in 31, but he's also the heart of the film and three from hell, pretty much. You know, if there is heart in that film, you know, because it's about three right. murderous people. But uh, but hell yeah. Yeah. So- yeah. No, he does like to mix it up. You know, he he likes to. I think he he appreciates both sides of the spectrum of your work. So he yeah. he and he and he also likes the idea that it will um, serve his storytelling. You know, I'll get a new side of Lou and you know, or Poncho in this element uh, in this in this part of the story. So oh yeah yeah. No, it's a good way of work, getting to work with your friends, too, and stuff like that without making like typecasting them or like, uh, you know, making people feel like they're watching the same people doing the same things over, you know what I mean, over and over again and stuff like that. So, For sure. Yeah. It, and, and he's good about that. I also think he's good or he's becoming really proficient about me working with new people, like yeah. kind of ch- changing his ensemble a little bit and using new people. And that grows him as an artist and also gives other people a chance to. Uh, be exposed to his work and and to work in his films which then ultimately means his fan base gets a new kind of a new perspective of of his storytelling with new players you know so and he's really good at for instance like he'll hire you know bill or or sid or ken and that give he he can just push play on on us knowing that we're going to come in and do do what is right for the movie and what he's looking for, which gives him time to work with somebody like Malcolm McDowell new or Brad Dura or somebody that hasn't had that experience with just yet. Yeah. No, yeah. No, definitely. And even some of the people, you know, Dan, Daniel Roebuck had like a very small role role in one of his earlier films and then, you know, goes on to be like the grandpa. Uh, yeah, grandpa. I was about to say uncle. I was like, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> I was thinking Uncle Fester from uh, Adam's family. Yeah. But uh, no, and then that's another thing is like just doing a kid's film in general. It's great. Yeah, no, hell yeah. But uh, pretty much I only have two more questions for you. And they're more like just about opinions and stuff and like some quick fun ones. But 
So pretty much my last few questions is, uh, you know, I just like to ask, you know, all my guests, you know, it's obvious that you're a horror fan, you know, from the work you've done and then, you know, just talking about some of the movies that you've seen recently and stuff. Uh, growing up, do you have any films that were like favorites of all time? And, you know, you can shout out, you know, if you have one that has that top spot, you can shout that out. But if you want to shout out a few, you're more than welcome. Uh, well, I always feel like my favorite horror film is Rosemary's Baby, again, for okay. the psychological tear. I've, I've just always thought it was perfect in in the element of suspense and and disbelief and um and shocking in and and for some reason quite scary uh oh yeah i have a uh this is a invite to the baby shower adrian oh Woodhouse. my god <laughs> that's hilarious that's fantastic that's my great my buddies toxic coffin that do shirts they they like to send goodies with their shirts and so like uh when they sent out the rosemary's baby shirt they did a little like they sound like a little pin with you know um mia farrow on it and then they sent that out as well so i got it framed and put it up there I was like that's super cool for sure it's very cool it's very cool um salem's lot scared the hell out of me okay. uh i recognize what that is and then really the hammer horror films i find the, the what frankenstein wolf uh the wolf man I, I found the the creature features to always be exciting you know and I feel like there's not enough of those, you know, and I, I recognize the element of what the bar that we talked about before requires, you know, and you, you got to have super great CGI and makeup and effects and everything. And I appreciate that. And I feel like there's, you know, we get into the slashers and, and, and that's a story that, that sells really well, but I feel yeah. like we're a little short on creature features. And, um, and so I, I, I loved, um, I loved dark shadows growing up the television series. Oh, yeah. I thought that was scary as hell. Uh, and so I, I'd look for more creature, you know, get Doug Jones in the Wolfman costume more and, yeah. uh, you know, and, and let's get a really, scary frankenstein oh, yeah. um if that's if that's possible out there i suppose in their own way i guess michael is a creature yeah. in his own in his own way i'm not sure i always feel like in my career that i have uh or it's been brought to my attention that i I've, I've had to deal with michael in halloween i've had to deal with leatherface uh in in uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, you know, I don't know if Otis, uh, I, I feel like I need one more. Would that be Jason or would that be Freddy? I think you'd have a better look with Jason because at least some of that stuff's in development where Freddy, it's just like nowadays, you never know. But I I personally am a pretty big fan of Freddy. At least Freddy, you would get a cool kill. Well, Jason's kills are cool, but Freddy, it's like those nightmare kills, man. There's just something different about yeah. those. Okay. Well, I need to, so we need to get Walton to want to go do freddy and then i'll yeah. have him drag me in for a kill and then i'll have my trifecta hey yeah or you can uh if you want to go with another new name you go with art he's becoming such a big name i get it i get it they are the terrifier group has really landed and yeah. um uh, i've had a chance through the conventions to to hang with them and it's hard to imagine the mayhem they cause on screen with how kind they are gentle in, in life. Yeah. Uh, they're sweet people. Uh, but yeah, art definitely has, has landed, right? Oh, yeah.
No, and uh, one good thing about uh, kind of like what you mentioned with, uh, you know, the creature features returning, at least we're getting, you know, Robert Eggers, who I mentioned earlier, is doing Nosferatu, which is awesome. And then um, Guillermo del Toro has already casted Frankenstein. So and I'm super oh, excited. Good. Yeah, he uh, casted Oscar Isaac to play Frankenstein's monster, which is something that I feel like is missing throughout the past few adaptations is like, you know, they either went with too much heart and then put like some, you know, like with Robert De Niro when he played Frankenstein, the movie didn't have like scary, like there wasn't a scariness to it. And um, then the other movies, it's like, I feel like a lot of times they just throw like whoever, like, they don't worry about getting an actor. Sometimes they'll just put a stuntman in the monster suit. And I'm glad that they're going right. with somebody who's known to be a great actor again to do the monster. Cause it just, again, like we talked about, you can't just throw on makeup and make it work. It's, you got to have somebody to show those emotions and play that character. So those will be great. Those, those will be great. Yeah. I think this Emma Stone movie has some elements that could be interesting. Um, oh, yeah. Poor things. That's my most anticipated for us. That and uh, Iron Claw are two I'm looking forward to for the rest of the year, for sure. Yeah. Those will, those will be great. No doubt. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. No, they say poor things is pretty much a Frankenstein coming of age story. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I hear good things about it. Really good things about it. Oh, yeah. Pretty much uh, my last question. And of course, you know, feel free to shout out another movie if you think of like a favorite or anything that you wanted to shout out. But uh, my last question, I like to ask all my guests, you know, the musicians and the actors and, you know, everybody is, do you have a horror story of your own? And it could be, you know, just from a day on set that's just gone completely awry or something in your personal life, if you don't mind sharing that. And if you believe in the paranormal, you know, those stories are more than welcome as well. I think that sometimes horror stories are have beautiful endings. And, and so my horror story would be that I'm a cancer survivor. Okay. Uh, of leukemia and during the course of uh of going through it it was horrific and and the physical attack of cancer on my body at that time in my life and what it brought me to ne just near death on you know three different occasions in in the treatment process and then to be able to live through that i've always felt like that's this horror story in its own. And I psychologically had to make peace with this sickness that was ravaging my body because it was part of me. And I had to sort of recognize that it was trying to survive in me just as much as I was trying to survive. And we were both going into the dark woods and either one of us was going to come out and the other wasn't, or we both weren't coming out. And I, yeah. you know, I had to make friends with my cancer and that part of me didn't make it. There's this weird Stockholm syndrome to it that I built. Yeah. And, um, and I've always thought that there's a horror film in having cancer in the experience. And then of course, being a survivor, I think is the happy ending. and You, you get out and maybe you look back with a thousand mile stare and recognize that you've been through something horrific, but you made it to the other side. And yeah. so I, I guess that's my horror story. Hell yeah. Congrats on, you know, beating it and everything. I'm, uh, I saw that you did a thing about a year ago where you got to, you know, sit and talk about it in an uh, interview. I can't remember what it was, but where you wrote up on stage and got to do a big interview about it. Um, yeah. No, I'm super stoked. That's awesome for you. My mom's she's got stage four uterine cancer. So she's and she's kind of like it's one of those she's in remission now, but she knows she'll have to live with it kind of going in and out. But uh, yeah. so I, I've, you know, been living with her for like the past year or so to help out. And she, you know, so I get to see like how, you know, treatment like leaves her sometimes. So I can only imagine, you know what I mean? You know, 
and leukemia, I'm sure the treatment's, you know, just as bad, if not worse. Yeah. And, and it changes your body and it changes your chemicals and your headspace psychologically. And there's a depressive state and there's stages of grief that you go through. And, and then, um, you evolve and become something. And, uh, I do think it's interesting. I, you know, I, I've always felt like there's a story in that to be told and, uh, metaphorically, I'm sure all these monsters attack us in some way yeah. in this form and shape that, uh, disease, you know, that, that parasites and preys on you and takes over your, your system. Yeah. And depression in and of its own self is scary. So, uh, so I, I gratefully talk about it, having had the experience and the perspective. Oh yeah, no, definitely, and that's one that, like uh, you said, like how Babadook shows grief. You know, like a movie could do that for you know, like cancer. Same thing with uh, there. I think that movie was called The Father that came out like the year or two ago with uh, oh, right. Anthony Hopkins, and it kind of showed like his daughter was played by different people to show like dementia and stuff. Um, they could definitely do something psychological with you know with cancer and the way that treatment leaves you and everything for sure. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Babadook is one of my favorite horror films of recent times. Yeah, I think it's it's a uh, it's a beautiful, perfect film somehow or another. Yeah, I I, actually, I, I suppose it, it, you know, looking at it as an actor, the performance is is stellar. She's just amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, and then the director, uh, Jennifer Kent, pretty much anything she does going forward because of that movie, I'll, you know, go out. I'll immediately buy a ticket and go see it if it's in theaters. If not, if it's not in theaters, I'll watch it as soon as it starts streaming. So, you know, interesting. There's um Guillermo del Toro did a television series, a, a, a mini series, I think it was. It was the storage, the storage cabinet of oh, the cabinet of, of curiosities. Thank you. Uh, the very last one, I think it was the last one. I think it might have been number six or number eight. Something was about a couple going through grief and. It was with the gentleman that I had the good fortune to work with in The Walking Dead, Andrew Lincoln, and the lady from The Babadook. And I thought it was the best of the entire setting of that group yeah. of, of Del Toro stories. It, it was about birds. They were out. They were bird watchers. And uh, it was creepy. Yeah. She directed that, I think, if I'm not mistaken. That's why I had the girl from the lady from Babadook, Jennifer Kent. Yeah. Right. Right. She directed it. Yeah, she did one, and then uh, Panos Cosmatos did one, who did Mandy. So those were like the two I was really looking forward to because I'm fans of both Mandy and Bob. Great, Luke, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are really good. But that's excellent. That's yeah. excellent. Now, and that's the kind of stuff that's cool, you know, seeing guys like Guillermo del Toro give you know all these young directors like a a place to shine. You know, kind of like Hitchcock did back in the day with you know Alfred Hitchcock presents and whatnot. So yeah, exactly, exactly. That's a good point. No, hell so, yeah. Well, I appreciate you for coming on the show. Do you want to, you know, uh, throw out any plugs or anything before I let you go or, you know, you can find me, um, um, as you said on Twitter, I'm Lou Temple actor, which is now who I also am <laughs> on Instagram. I think there's probably a Facebook page, Lou Temple. Those are all the socials. I have a Patreon. It's called the Texican. It's Lou oh, Temple. Yeah. And what I do there is I give access to, uh, my work and it's typically work 
it's my auditions essentially. So they're all on tape. You know, we all, we audition on tape. So you get to see the auditions that are put forth for many of the shows that you see. Uh, you don't see me in them, but you will recognize the characters like, oh my God, they hired Tim Roth for that role, but Lou read for it. Oh my God. They, you know, so uh, yeah. all my auditions. And then I give a commentary on what my approach was. And for five bucks, you can join my Patreon and kind of get a behind the screen of, uh, of my work and my presentation to people who are looking to hire me. Oh, yeah. And if anybody's interested that's listening, I'll, I'll make sure I link that in the description so it'll be easy to get to for sure. So if you want to sign up for the Patreon, just look in the description for... Uh, the Thanks. Movie. Appreciate it. And always good to give a holiday uh, cameo out there. Uh, a ho-ho-ho to one of your beloved. Uh, uh, hit me on cameo and I'll be happy to do so. But it's been good to be here, to, uh, Tim, uh, for uh, for this visit. And um, I'm glad that we're, we're able to connect. Oh, yeah. Same here. And I appreciate you so much for, you know, taking the time to come on the show and chat with me. It's been a blast uh, talking with you about horror movies and, you know, your work in general and stuff. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, uh, you're doing good work. Keep up. You're uh, well informed. You have a good take on the on not just the genre, but cinema in general. And I, I am uh, encouraging you to continue your your well thought approach to it. You do well. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. That means a lot. I appreciate that for sure. All right, dude. Yes, sir. Well, uh, thank you again and enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks so much. Merry Christmas. Uh, be good, uh, everyone out there. And um, uh, what, what, what can I leave you with? How about this? 100% of the things you do get done. And as usual, I just want to say thanks again for listening and make sure you check back next week as it'll be our monthly roundtable episode where I'm joined by my monthly co-hosts, Travis, Wren, Phil, and Jay as we dive into our top six favorite slasher villains. So make sure you check back for that. Go follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and X for all updates on the podcast. If you'd like to sign up for the Patreon, the link is in the description. Also, just sharing it around or rating and subscribing wherever you're listening is just as appreciated. The link for Lou Temple's Patreon is also in the description if you're interested. Thanks again so much for listening, and stay safe.